during my last year of, of seminary, I was put on a pulpit supply list. And a pulpit supply list is, is basically a, a substitute teacher list for preachers. And one of the, the first churches that asked me to preach was a, a small church, about uh, 15 to 20 people that were, were in, in worship and had been in the same community for about 60 years. And the community had completely changed around the church, but the church hadn't changed all that much. I, I showed up early before church. I, I met with the music director. I, I had a conversation with the clerk of session and she kind of talked through some of what I could expect. And then I went outside to stand at the entryway into the sanctuary that stood above some stairs and greeted people as they arrived for church. There was a woman who was standing at the door with me and, and she was carrying a clipboard. She, she was the only usher for, for this church. And when, when someone arrived, she, she would look at them and say, Owen, it's good to see you. And she'd check their name off. She'd look at every person that came in. She'd say, hey, it's good to see you. And she would say their name and she would check their name off. Well, one of my, my good friends, Amy, um, she, she came to see me preach that morning and she arrived. And this, this wonderful woman, she, she looked up at my friend Amy and she said, I, I don't recognize you. And my friend Amy said, oh, hi, my name's Amy. And, and she said, you're not on the list. She meant well. She, she meant well. Her job was to check in with every person from her church that arrived that day. But I will never forget the look on my friend Amy's face that morning. I, I assured the usher that was was okay that she was with me, that she could come back, that we, we were fine, and, and we went on with the worship service. The, the truth is this church hadn't had visitors or guests for years. Every other person in that sanctuary was either a long-time member or a friend of a long-time member. The usher simply wasn't prepared. Now, it might not be quite that blatant, but I'm guessing each of us here have walked into a, a, a church at some time, and uh, maybe even this church, and we haven't felt welcome. Maybe someone told us that they were sitting in their seat. Raise your hand if you've ever told someone they're sitting in their seat. Don't raise your hand. I'm joking. I'm joking. Maybe you showed up and someone said, hey, you're in my seat. Maybe during, during an opening hymn, you're singing out loud and someone turned around and said, hey, you sound terrible. I hope not. I hope. Maybe, maybe someone looked at you and said, hey, you're, you're not quite dressed for, for church. Unfortunately, I think it's probably easier for, for many of us to think of examples of feeling unwelcome than it is to think of times we've arrived at church and we've felt overtly welcome. People have gone above and beyond welcoming us into their community. Over the next three weeks or so, we're going to be talking through our journey together as a church starting with, with unpacking our, our, our mission statement a bit. And as, as a church, we, we strive to be a church that invites all people to follow Jesus on a journey of faith, friendship, and service. And we recognize that that journey looks different for every single one of us. That when we arrive at church, we, we come from different places. Some of us have had great weeks. Some of us have had difficult weeks. 
Some of us have a lot of experience in the church. Some of us have very little experience in the church. And that when we arrive at church on Sunday morning, we all come from a, a different place. And our goal as a church is to walk with one another as we figure out what it looks like to follow Jesus in, in a world that can sometimes be confusing. So no matter where a person is on their journey, we want to communicate that, that we want to encourage, we want to support, we want to communicate that that we're in this together as we try to follow Jesus. In the next couple of weeks, we're going to talk about how exactly we do that, how exactly we at Westminster talk about following Jesus. But this morning, we're going to focus in on those, those first three words, inviting all people. Our first scripture passage this morning out of Jeremiah that that Pastor Dale read, it it tells a story of when the people are in exile in Babylon. They were guests in a foreign land and they're, they're struggling to live into their identity when they're away from what is comfortable, when they're away from what they know. And they're told to build houses to settle down, to plant gardens. To have their children marry other, other locals. To, to seek the peace and prosperity of the place that they had been carried into. That's one of my favorite, favorite moments in the history of God's people. Even when they're in a, a, a place where they're way outside their comfort, comfort zone. Where they're, they're seen as, as second class c- citizens. They're called to extend radical hospitality to their neighbors. To co-mingle and to invite them into their lives. And this serves as a reminder in the history of God's people that from the moment that Abram was called, God's people were invited to be a blessing to all people, not just to their own people, to all people. Our, our second passage this morning comes from a conversation between leaders in the early church, and it's often referred to as the Jerusalem Council. These leaders, they were trying to figure out uh, kind of a, a set of, of boundaries. They're, they're wrestling with, with what it means to be a, a church together, even though they come from, from different backgrounds. Some leaders were, were teaching a strict adherence to, to Jewish law, and others were arguing against it. They, they traveled from a variety of different churches, uh, each from a slightly different context. And, and after they, they talked for a while, a, a question about circumcision was brought to the floor. And, and we read this. The apostles and elders met to consider this question. After much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, you know that some time ago, God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them, just as he did to us. He did not discriminate between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved, just as they are. The whole assembly became silent as they they listened to Barnabas and Paul telling about the signs and wonders God had done among the Gentiles through them. When they finished, James spoke up. Brothers, he said, listen to me. Simon has described to us how God first intervened to choose a people for his name from the Gentiles. 
The words of the prophets are in agreement with this, as it is written, After this I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent. Its ruins I will rebuild and I will restore it, that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles who bear my name, says the Lord. Who does these things, things known from long ago? It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Instead, we should write to them, telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from the meat of strangled animals, and from blood. For the law of Moses had been preached in every city from the earliest times and is read in the synagogues on every Sabbath. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So it was about three years ago that that leaders here at Westminster got together for uh, a year-long council of sorts. I imagine it was was less intense than what we, we just read about in Acts, but there was a similar purpose. We wanted to set a few parameters around our, our journey forward together. We had a consultant come in and, and, and we talked through vision, values, strategies, and, and measures. Essentially, we wanted to come up with language that articulated how we could be held together as we move forward. What was it about Westminster that makes us us, that makes us unique? Now, it wasn't the first time at all that the WPC had gone through a visioning process, and it certainly won't be the last. But we wanted to check in and, and to try to figure out how to get everyone on the same page. Now, our church looks different today than it did then. The entire world looks different today than it did then. We've all had to adapt. We've all had to adjust. But the conversations that we had then laid a foundation for the direction we're moving today. When the leaders of the early church get together in Jerusalem, they they all come from slightly different backgrounds. And they all bring a a different set of expectations. Expectations about what the church could and, and should be. When we got together three years ago, we all came with different expectations from different backgrounds as well. When we arrived at church this morning... We all came with a slightly different set of expectations of what we were going to experience when we arrived. There's a moment in what we just read where where Peter stands up and talks about all that God was doing in the Gentiles. He ends what I imagine had to be a, a passionate plea. He says, look, listen, we... We can't put a yoke around the neck of the Gentiles that we can't wear ourselves, that our ancestors can wear themselves. In fact, we believe everyone, every one of us, every single follower of Christ is saved through grace. All that we do, all of who we are is because of God's grace. And when we extend an invitation, when we talk here at Westminster about inviting all people, when we extend an invitation for someone to participate in in who we are as a community and something we're doing as a community, it's out of that grace. Out of recognizing that, that we all need grace and that the whole world needs God's grace. To put it simply, the only reason that any of us is here is because of God's grace. 
Now, more often than not, when we gather around the Lord's table, uh, Pastor Darrell or I will, will stand up and remind us that the, this sacrament, we might use different words, but this sacrament is a, a means of grace, meaning that it is a gift. It is a, a gift to remind us of God's grace. And on Communion Sundays, as we just did a few moments ago, we pray a prayer of confession before coming to the table as a reminder that none of us is perfect, that we all need God's grace. We invite others to experience that grace because we have experienced it ourselves. So I want to I try something real quick. I want you to think about the moment not the moment. Think about the person who first introduced you to church. Maybe not necessarily this church, but the first person who introduced you to church. We're going we're to try an experiment for a minute. How many of you were introduced to the church by your parents? Raise your hand. Or grandparents. You can keep your hands up. What about a friend or a neighbor? You keep your hands up. Keep your hands up. Keep your hands up. How many by a spouse? How many by a pastor? My guess is you can put all put your hands down, but most of your hands, most of your hands are up. The majority of people who show up at church don't just walk in on their own. Do you realize that? The majority of folks who, who come to church, they don't they don't just walk in on their own. Somebody invites them. Somebody invites them. For a lot of us it was, was parents or, or grandparents. <clears throat> But maybe it's a neighbor, maybe it's a coworker, maybe maybe it's it's a pastor that you run into the, on the street. Somebody invites them. As the Jerusalem Council wrestles with with coming to terms with a collective identity, with with who they are, they give us at least four ways that that we can be more inviting, four ways that we can work toward inviting all people, and it, it starts with with how we approach our our differences. After Barnabas and Paul talk about all that God had done uh, in and through the Gentile community that they had been in contact with, James, he stands up and affirms him and he ends that affirmation with, we have differences. Let's not deny it. We have differences, but we shouldn't make it difficult for Gentiles to turn toward God. It's as if he's saying, okay, here's the road. Here's the road that we're all on, and there's, there's three or four lanes. Think, think of the 101. There's three or four lanes, and you can go in the same direction in any of those three or four lanes. But we need to make sure that we're moving forward in the same direction. For the, the people in the early church, that meant adhering to, to some sort of laws around cleanliness. But outside of that, there was a whole lot of freedom. And they were a part of the greater church as long as they were on that road following Jesus. Converts into the church were welcome regardless of their background, and that meant that, that everybody had to accept some sort of change. So what was, was happening here in, in, in Jerusalem is you, you had those who were from Jewish descent, and they had to change by accepting Gentiles into their community. That was a big change. That was a significant change for them. And for the Gentiles, it meant picking up some of the traditions of their Jewish brothers and sisters so they could all be heading in the same direction. If there were three or four lanes on the road following Jesus for the early church, there's, there's hundreds today. 
And what we're trying to say here at WPC is, is while there's room for differences on a multitude of issues, and we need to acknowledge that there's room for differences on a multitude of issues, that we're all doing our best to try to figure out what it means to follow Jesus. That's the road we're on. We're trying to follow Jesus. We're trying to figure it out. That's why we exist. That's why we're here. We also see a, a reliance on the Holy Spirit. Uh, the conversation that was taking place in Jerusalem had to be uncomfortable. I, I'm guessing it was, was difficult for some of the, the, the Christians from a, a Jewish background to, to hear about all that God was doing among the Gentiles. They had to kind of just listen to it. Peter, he stands and he says, look, we're, we're, we're used, we are used to, from our tradition, used to purification coming through sacrifice, but the Holy Spirit doesn't discriminate. These Gentiles, they've been purified by faith, by faith. Now, he was the perfect person to share about the Holy Spirit and, and, and the Gentiles. A, a few years earlier, he had seen the Spirit he had seen the Spirit on the move in, in Cornelius the centurion in, in his house. We read about it in Acts chapter 10. This, this aha moment for Peter comes in this, this small town along the Mediterranean coast. And he's, he's in Cornelius the centurion's house. And after what, if, if we were to read this in, in a news article or something like that, we would say it was a, a, a series of coincidences. And he's in the house and he arrives there and he's surrounded by a group of Roman citizens, a group of Gentiles. And Cornelius says to him, I invited you here so you could share what God is doing in the world with us. And in Acts 10, 34, Peter replies, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. He goes on to share about Jesus. And we're told in Acts 10 that this Holy Spirit falls on Cornelius' house. The question for us here with relying on the Holy Spirit is, quite frankly, do we make room for the Spirit to make us uncomfortable? Do we rely it to push us beyond what we know, which might include inviting people who we aren't used to seeing into our community? That's what happens in Acts 10. The story that Peter shares and the experiences that Barnabas, Paul, and James share, they, they remind us as well of the importance of, of listening to the stories or the experiences of other people. The leaders, they, they, they listen. And once they've heard concerns, they listen to the opposition first. Then they share about their experience. There's a, a, a beautiful picture painted here, I think, in this part of Acts, where where, where these aren't people who are yelling past one another. They're not yelling past one another, getting louder and louder, trying to prove their point. Instead, space is made for some disagreement around non-essentials as they figure out how to move forward together. It's a reminder for us to recognize that there are people in our church family who have valid experiences that are very different from the ones that we've had. You all have had a different faith experience than mine. Mine has been different from yours. Then when this Jerusalem council makes a decision, it follows honest 
discernment. And that, that decision, that decision points to grace. That points to grace. As I said earlier, it's the only reason any of us is here. And it's really the only reason any of them there were there for the Jerusalem Council as well. Peter reminds us uh, and, and them of that reality. The church was never intended to be a place for people who have figured it all out. It was never intended to be a, a place for the people who have all the answers. We don't arrive every Sunday morning to worship thinking, yeah, and I, I got it all figured out. I don't arrive to Sunday morning with a, a polished sermon thinking, you know what, I've nailed it. I, I know everything about this scripture passage. No, I don't. We don't come as perfect people. We come as people who are in need of grace. In the beginning of Acts, with Pentecost and all that follows directly after it, we see the story of a community who's trying to figure it out. Trying to come up with a a list of shared values, shared language to define their identity. They, They couldn't have known what the journey ahead was going to look like. They couldn't have known it. In the same way, Three years ago, when when we came up with this Vision 2020 statement in 2019, we couldn't have predicted all that has happened in the last three years. But as we try to figure it out, as we tried to figure it out then, as we continue to try to, to figure it out today, our question is, are we on the same road? And there's a lot of room on that road as we aim to follow Jesus. We're reminded that as we journey, that that God's grace is sufficient. So every time that we gather around the table, we come as a broken people. We come as a broken people and we invite other broken people to join us around the table, recognizing that we are all in need of God's grace. We join in prayer. Gracious God, we we gather around this table with with grateful hearts. Thank you for the many ways that you you bless us. From the beauty that surrounds us, the friends and family who walk with us, for the glimpses that we are given of your kingdom breaking into our world. We thank you for the table that's in front of us, for the elements that sit on it, and for the opportunity to break bread and drink from the cup together. We pray these things in your name. Amen. So over the last few months, as we have gathered around this table, we uh, have taken communion by means of intention. And so there are pre-cut pieces of bread up here, and uh, as you come forward, we invite you to take a piece of bread and to dip it in the cup. They're very big pieces of bread. I had a a pastor friend who every time he served communion and uh, a big piece of bread was there, he said, take a big hunk of grace. And so as you come forward, receive a big hunk of grace and dip it in the cup. And then you're welcome to walk back to your table to, to eat it on the way or when you get back to your seat. Over the last few months, we've also started uh, having prayer stations with anointing. There will be one over here next to the meditation garden, and there will be one 
over there as well, I think. Um, and uh, you're welcome to stop by and to be prayed for if you have anything that you need prayer for. We have Stephen ministers there who are, are trained to pray with you. And they'll all also be offering anointing. And, and anointing, it's an ancient practice. It's a biblical practice uh, where, where oil is used. And, and really what they're doing is, is we are inviting collectively as a community the Holy Spirit to come into whatever situation you are dealing with, whether it's health or anything else.